This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Guys, welcome to Knife Talk, a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, DIYers, anyone within in the maker community. We got you. We got you. We're three knife makers from all over the world. Well, two, two continents, honestly. Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. That's me, Mareko Momasi. He's out on the West Coast and sitting pretty in, in uh, France is our boy Craig Lockwood at Chop Knives. We're here every week, guys. We're here every week and we're answering your questions and we're actually running up on seven years of doing this podcast. Wow. Did you know that? Seven years. Wowzers. Well, that's you, Craig. You got yes, two yeah. in. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then in uh, in August will be the will be the fifth year anniversary of 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 Mareko and I showing up. And I did see we had a big anniversary this week as well. Well. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that later. Well, it's kind of a big anniversary. Not really, but yeah, that's fine. You're going to be surprised, uh, but not too surprised. Okay. Okay. How you guys been? Good. I'm good. It's, um, yeah, first of all, thank you guys for being so uh, flexible. So we'd normally do this on a Friday. It's now a Sunday afternoon for me, very early on a Sunday morning for Morocco. Um, so if there's a bit of croakiness in Morocco's voice. That's probably why. Um, but um, I'm all good. I'm all good. Um, we <laughs> we had a gig yesterday, my band and I. Um, the worst show we've ever ever done. Oh shit! It was absolute car crash. It was Why? terrible. <laughs> um, well, uh, <laughs> we we showed up and it was like you know we meant to play eight p.m. and we show up at sort of five, you know, ready to you know set up sound check. It takes a while to get ready, you know. We show up whilst we're unloading our van. A fight break out, breaks out between people who were there. They've been drinking all day, and this this was like a, a fishing club. Basically, they'd booked us for an event. They had a, a huge marquee and all the rest of it. We, as we arrived, we could see these people are off it already. Already, you know, there's people, you know, lying on the floor, falling over. It's 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 a mess. And yeah, a full-on fight starts, and there's like there's two guys you know, rolling around, punching shit out of each other. And there's people <laughs> trying to stop them. There's kids crying. And we haven't played a note yet. We're setting up. We're just like, oh, jeez, jeez. Anyway, so when when we did eventually start, everybody's there's they have like a temporary bar there. Everybody's just at the bar. There's nobody paying any attention whatsoever to us until the drunk people start coming over. As we're playing, they're trying to put their arm around me, telling me what songs to play next. And as we're playing, you oh. know, it was it was absolutely terrible the worst the worst ever but they paid well so you know <laughs> did, did you my wife's been watching the i think it's a netflix show about woodstock 99 oh, oh yeah God. i did see that that documentary <laughs> it i because i remember woodstock 99 but at the same time I, I didn't pay much attention to it that sounded like what what you're talking about is like a mini version of what happened woodstock 99. <laughs> my mini woodstock um honestly it was just terrible and i don't know what these people were drinking um it was some sort of hooch it was like a brandy kind of thing oh, and they're drinking it in pint glasses oh. honestly people oh, were just they weren't i don't think most of them were aware a band were playing let alone you know what was going on but yeah the ones that were coming up to it as we're playing putting their arm around us trying to sing into the mic and oh 
<laughs> I feel worst. like I've seen some movies, like older movies, where bar fights break out and the band just keeps playing and trudging through and just yeah. bottles and chairs flying everywhere. But this was before we set up. As we oh were getting stuff God. out of the van, they're literally rolling around on the floor like a bunch of crap. It was just, oh, man. Well, that was oh. uh, Blues Brothers. They're playing at the a band. There's like a chain link fence in front of them and then there are yes, people yeah. throwing beer bottles at the chain oh, link right. fence and, and the Blues Brothers are still going on. Yeah, Did well, we didn't have anybody anyone, objecting or? to us, but we were just as if we weren't there, really. So we treated right. it like a rehearsal that we're being paid for. That's how we did it. And we like songs we haven't really practiced much. Oh, let's just try that. Nobody's listening anyway. So, did you ever say anything to anybody? Or, uh, um, well, it's weird. It's a weird one because where we are in the Dordogne, I'd say thirty percent of the people are maybe British. When we play, you know, in, in various towns and so on. Um, so I can speak to the crowd and, you know, my, my French is, you know, reasonable enough to sort of speak to the crowd and the Brits are there anyway. These were all country bumpkin French. Um, so they wouldn't even understand my French anyway. So so I didn't, but Kareem, the other guy, the other guitarist, mm. tried. But there, there's just no interaction whatsoever. It was, it was, it felt like work last night for the first time. Oh, wow. And um, it, can only, it can only get better, shall we say. Actually, that reminds me of a story. Back in before Lyle was born, my wife and I were members of the New York City Roadrunners Club. It was an awesome race club, and we could we would run in the Central Park, and it was really awesome. And they would have events with different companies, and Nike sponsored a race. Hmm. And if you paid like you know twenty bucks to get in, and you would get these nice shirts and stuff like that. And then Nike did this show where they had one hit wonders, and like they had real musical acts playing along Central Park. I mean, they put a lot hmm. of money into it. And at the final. <laughs> At the end, so everyone's wearing Nike, the, they wear the Nike shirts, and there was like, Sir Mix-a-Lot was out there, and, yeah. the, and it was like, it was like all these 80s bands, 80s and 90s bands, and at the end, they had a concert with Most Def and then Everclear. Mm. Everclear, I don't, if you, you could have to Google what songs they played, I don't, I don't remember offhand, <laughs> but they were kind of, you know one of those bands from the 90s and all of a sudden he, he the guy from Everclear comes out and they're they're Everclear's over i mean it's not this is like you know they're doing a gig for Nike you know he walks up on stage looks at all the runners wearing the Nike shirts and he goes i never realized that the fans of Everclear were such a bunch of yuppies <laughs> and cuz you know you're in central park everyone's wearing these Nike shirts yeah. it's obviously a Nike event they're obviously taking a fucking <laughs> money Everyone started booing. Everyone oh, started. Oh, booing. Really? oh, we all were just like you know. We just ran three and a half miles to be insulted by a fucking washed up asshole. And, we, <laughs> and it was just like, are you crazy? I think you what got. You, he's a bleached asshole. Yeah, bleached. He was your bleached hair. I mean, whatever. But it was like. <laughs> And the hilarious part was he, he just went in it. I mean, he could have had a... And everyone booed him the whole time, and they cut the, the set. And everyone's, like, looking at him like, why would you do that? I mean, yeah. Just take oh, the money man. and fucking go. He just had to, like, ruin the whole thing. I'm, I'm picturing you saying something, and then all the drunken people are going crazy. No. I said there was no sort of tyranny against us. It was just... We were just as if we weren't there, really. Um, so, yeah, we took it as a case of, yeah, take the money, get our last song out as quick as we can, and get off. Yeah. So it's your fault that the the riots are happening in Paris then? Uh, nothing to do with me. No, and uh, honestly, I, I've had a few messages saying, you know, are you okay where you are and so on. We are in the middle of fucking nowhere. Where <laughs> there's most people don't even know what's happening. You know, where where you know a good sort of six six seven hour drive. 
oh, Paris. Wow. So we're, yeah, we're well away from that. Yeah, yeah I got some messages. Our old buddy Damascus Dave was worried about you and your family. Yeah. And no, I said, maybe we're... you should stop getting your information from like social media. Yeah. From what I can from see, Facebook. from what I can see, it is crazy there. There's, they're setting fire to government buildings and all the rest of it. It's, it's, yeah, it's absolute madness. But um, yeah, we're, we're a million miles away from that, both yeah, culturally. Playing and, drunken shows. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh. A million miles from it. Anyway, Morocco, how are you? Yeah. Uh, just really quick, when you said that you guys played your worst show ever, I was like, oh my God. Like, I, I, I thought about all the technical things that could have gone right. wrong with the sound and everything. And then you started talking about the, the patrons people. just being drunk people. Drunkards. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, good. They did well. It's just the, the, the venue sucked. Well, no, we played terribly too then as well. Oh, because you did? It was just, <laughs> okay, perfect. We, we, we ended up picking songs that we haven't really rehearsed that well because we, we treated it as a rehearsal, you know? You um, gave into the pressure Yeah, the drunk so, guy with his arm around your neck. Yes, we did. We took a few requests. Yeah, did you? Songs we'd never played before, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, what uh, were the requests? Next, next, next week, actually, we've got um, a, a, a gig. It's not the big... Um, festival that i've been talking about but it's another festival and it's being broadcast live on the radio which is quite crazy for us so oh cool looking forward to that one will That's there be exciting. a web link that we can possibly listen to it possibly i'll yeah i'll find it if there is i'll, I'll send it out yeah yeah possibly you know what cool. i was thinking though i think it might be a similar situation of a, of a just a bunch of drunkards um but maybe one way we can get you across the pond to blade show is if your band played in the pit It'd be fucking awesome. I think Listen, it'd be great. There's two members of my band who've never left the country. Okay. And I don't think they'd be allowed to leave the country. <laughs> oh, perfect. I bet you we could build a knife making super band. We I'm sure there's oh, sure. Plenty I are, in of my people. mind already. Yeah. I have you, Jordan Lamote, Noah Vashon, and I'm trying to figure out who plays that threesome right there. You got to get power. What is power play? You need a drummer. You need a bass player. I'm sure Noah mm. plays the bass too. I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who, who play. Yeah, yeah. Gabe Fletcher well, plays bass. Dude, Blade Show. If you're listening, do the Blade <laughs> Show power band. The Blade Show. Salem band. Straub plays drums. Salem guitar, Straub sings, and he plays the banjo as well. And you play too. I play guitar. There we go. Dang, Look at that. This would be like, this This could be something. Well, it could be terrible, too. If you, if you guys <laughs> Most likely, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't practiced. You but if everybody's all... drunk, it doesn't matter, right? This yeah. will be your worst band because this will be your worst <laughs> show because all the Australians are going to be throwing bottles. Oh, and everyone's going to be like, Greg, suck my dick. And, and, if we, <laughs> and if we don't go down well, everybody's got a table of knives oh. as well. You know, that. oh, no. It and it, you know what we could do? You know what we could do is we could have those guys <laughs> flipping their flippers that yeah. could be the percussion the percussion we could the, do, they could do like the backing dances they yeah, could like all do the, it you know, the baracus, yeah. but it's the flipping knives totally. you got something there yeah yeah the, we'd have to be called the blades obviously yeah nice i like or the, it I like or the, the spanish idea. notch that's what i would go with <laughs> <laughs> that's the band the spanish notch is the band yeah <laughs> lovely Okay. Okay. Morocco, <laughs> what's been going on? The the last week for me has been pretty standard. Um I Hawaii. actually don't know. 
What? Well, well I mean, just like, no, 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 not Hawaii. <laughs> no, just like knife wise. I'm sorry, oh. knife wise. It's been pretty standard. Oh, we, we don't talk knives on this show. We talk about hand sanding and all that kind of stuff. Been working on this blade. That's actually a knife that's been laying around the shop for a few years, and just finally getting it finished up to send out to my email list. Uh, it's Crew Forge V, though, which if anybody who's worked with that knows how wear resistant it is, it, it is a nightmare to hand sand. Uh, I even reached out to Will Stelter, who punishes himself um, by hand sanding Crew Forge V often, and uh, he said, you kind of just got to deal with it. And I've done these blades before, but um, I've never talked to anybody about the finishing process. And so I thought I'd reach out to Will, and he's like, no, you just got to put that elbow so grease wait, to work. So you reached out to Will to see if he'd hand sand the blade for you. Is that a service he now he does? No. <laughs> and, yeah, he's a blade polisher these days. Um, and otherwise, it's su- it's full-on summertime here in Washington State. Uh, since we got back from Hawaii, the weather's been 70-plus every day um, this last weekend. I think actually yesterday we were at 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Um and so I took the kid to the, a local like state park that's got this beautiful lake and play area. Um, we met with some friends there. They brought their kids. It was cool. It was a lot of fun. Uh, just doing like, I guess, uh, quintessential summertime things. Getting giant mm. scoops of ice cream. Everybody getting a bellyache from eating too much. <laughs> it was cool. It was it was a good time. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, talking about belly aches from eating too much, we had our annual um, end of year sort of school. They have a party, you know, for the mm, kids right. at the end of year, uh, but it's in the evening. And um, I couldn't go last year because I had COVID, but my wife was telling me all about it. And they have a bar there, which is really strange. It's like all the parents <laughs> go with their kids to meet the teachers. There's a bar there, and they serve they serve food and all the rest of it. Um, but um, there's basically there's lots and lots of food. And they had a whole table full of desserts and Daisy. Uh, one of the, one of my twins, uh, we got home and she just looked at me and she went, Papa, I think I'm going to be sick. I said, well, how many desserts did you have? She said, I think 10, maybe 11. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, She's a monster. She can just eat anything. <laughs> but it's just the way, like, I think I'm going to be sick. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. But, yeah, it's quite strange to go to, a, like, a parent's teacher's event and see the teacher, like, drinking in front of the kids and stuff and smoking in front of the kids. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it's something you wouldn't see in the UK, but it's, yeah, in, completely tolerated in, in France. I once I went say. to an event a friend of mine was throwing, and one of my daughter's teachers, years ago, one of my daughter's teachers was there. Mm. Shithoused. Totally shithoused. <laughs> oh, wow. And then I didn't know. And then I was talking to someone, with, and then they they just turned and they saw me, and they're like, "Mr. Fader." And it was like she tried to stand up straight, and she, it was like I was just like, "Just at ease, soldier. You're all right. like overcompensated." <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was just like I was just, yeah. Am I going to tell my daughter as soon as I get home? And it's, it was really like embarrassing, but at the same time, it's like yeah, it's small town life. Yeah, what can you do? Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I Jeff. had a. I had a very good week. Uh, we're back at it. Uh, we're finishing some things up. I'm kind of trying some new things out with social media, just to kind of st- the storytelling and you know figuring out what's working and what's not working. But I, I, uh, I've been futzing around with, I've been futzing around with, um, <laughs> around with these goddamn um, uh, magnet boards. Like I guess told you guys about uh, uh, just yeah, like, yeah. and I worked it out, but it just got to be the point where I was just like, I am suffering through this. 
and getting the rare earth magnets and it was just a drag and i got reached out by our friend a listener sarah sarah over at 360 knife block and they sent oh, me yeah. some knife blocks so i'm going to be doing just strictly with them i'm really excited i had a real nice conversation with them we're gonna do all if we people want knife blocks from us they're gonna we're gonna be using only 360 knife blocks and it was really cool she's a listener to this podcast and she's awesome. very involved in the maker community and she sent me some samples and they were awesome. And Sarah and her and her and her husband do these really beautiful uh, magnet boards that really highlight the knives. And it kind of also was just like, thank God, because I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I'm out. I'm, this is when, when you say knife blocks, do you mean with the magnets in and they go on the outside? It's like or imagine slot, like a pillar. Or? Imagine a pillar okay. and the magnets yeah. are on side, so your knives are flat on the outside of the board. So. It's not a board. They have blocks and boards, but the blocks are cool because it's not. It doesn't matter what size your knife is. So the magnets are on the outside. It's it. She does a good job, and she's very involved with like, you know, Food Network stuff, and it's it's just. But she listens to this podcast. I mean, the only reason why she reached out is she listens to Knife Talk, which I was just like, yeah, that's awesome. So um, that was that. But uh, what what was interesting, and I wanted to bring it up with you guys, was uh, I had uh, Riley Kirkpatrick. Uh, on full blast and we had a really interesting conversation i thought that this would be conversation i want to bring back we're going to this is going to be the last week for the the bit uh, dumb things people say to us (laughs) at a knife show and i want to bring back an old bit because riley is an incredible blacksmith he's his rise in social media is very uh, wonderful because he is a very good blacksmith he's a farrier and um we were talking about the differences between different styles of forging. There's so many different camps and everyone seems to seem to think that their way is the correct way, whereas it's all different. And I'm going to say this in this regards. He was forging a horseshoe. And one of the things about forging, forging horseshoes, the first thing you do is you heat your bar of steel up in the middle and then you do what's called bumping the material. The bumping the material is, is you're upsetting, you're putting the, you know, your, let's say your horseshoe bar stock is an inch by 12 inches by mm. three eighths. And mm. you need to bump the middle. And the reason why you bump the middle is when you make the horseshoe shape, when you're bending it around, if you bend, it, what happens is the inside, the inside of the bend bunches out, the outside uh, of the yeah, bend gets yeah. thinner. So you have to bump the material in. So if you're forging a piece of, of you're bumping in a 12-inch piece, your hammer is striking the steel higher up, 12 inches past the face of your anvil, right? So if you're forging a knife, you, you, let's say we've all, well, we've talked about the fact that uh, um, you're, you maybe your anvil height is like balls, you know, your ball size or where your nuts are, or like your hand straight down, your knuckles are touching it. But like these guys have their hand, their their anvil lower because they're to bump out this material. You got to do it. What was interesting was was he got this. Somebody commented in his in his, some maybe a blacksmith or a, you know whatever. They said, well, you know your 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 anvil's so low it hurts my back just looking at it. And this was a comment. You know, like people say what they say on the internet. But what's interesting is is like as soon as I had talked to him and I was looking at what he was doing and how you have to bump out this particular piece of material. You can't have the anvil at the normal height that you would if you were forging by yourself. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was we were talking about, uh, you know, the difference between a lot of people's hammers, like the Farrier-style hammer is different than, say, the Hoffy hammer or, say, the, uh, you know, whatever, the Brian Brazil hammer or something like that. 
And what was interesting was we were trying to like come to this point where maybe all forging people just need to realize that everybody does it different. And there are different aspects to the forging process. I wanted to know what you guys thought. I mean, you have any opinions on, I mean, if, maybe you don't, I don't know. I mean, I would agree, uh, especially since we all have different bodies and different ergonomics and everything. So it's, it's never going to be exactly the same. Um, I will say I have noticed some anvils down at the base of the anvil has like a little side table near the base. And I've never understood what that was for. But now that you're explaining That's how this work, works for farriers, it would make perfect sense to use that because then that would lower the work surface closer to the base of the anvil and bring the part that you're actually hitting nearer the surface of your standard anvil height. That is a very good point. That's on a lot of Euro style anvils. You won't see those as much on the American, what we, you know, the American, the, the farrier style hammer that mo, anvil that most people have is meant for horseshoers and the, it's all horn based and it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's not as much, but the Euro anvil has that table. You're right. And what that's for is for upsetting. Usually it's for upsetting material. Upsetting is kind of pushing it back up and kind of flaring it out the front is usually for like if you're making a leaf and you want more material at the end or something like that or you want you're starting you're having an l you're forging an element so you'd heat that part up and then you'd knock it down there and then you could upset at the bottom but it's interesting because you know there are all these different techniques and i know you know uh, nick ross he does these great videos where he's talking about you know he's making like these it's almost like a skit you know it's almost like a skit and he takes shots at people's hammers and takes shots at you know people's decisions and he's incredibly good at being a subversive i think it's fantastic and he you know talking about you know your hammers are too big or your you know your your hammers are the handles are too long and i just thought it was really interesting to see different forging directions and the difference mm. between a bladesmith and a farrier and a bladesmith and a, a ornamental iron worker and i just mm -hmm. found, found it to be very interesting i would imagine when a lot of people get into forging they'll get the sort of one size fits all equipment you know right. because they don't quite know where they go in and what will happen then is if they've been using that for a few years they become very comfortable with that so you know something specialist you know for a specific task would feel again alien to them yeah. so that they'll quite happily use what they used to to do to do this specialist whatever it is well the forging i learned how to do starting so that my starting education was forging by yourself like so you don't have a striker or you don't have mm. um maybe you don't have power equipment so when i started hanging out with um uh john and cliff and all those guys i noticed that their hammer their anvils were very low and I always kind of was just like, wow, it seems very low. But when you realize that they're usually doing striking, where one guy's holding the material, the other guy's got the sledgehammer, you want as much maximum velocity for the impact to hit on the lower side. You don't, you don't want to waste forging with a striker where it's too high and they're not getting maximum amount of swing. Yeah. Yeah. So it is really interesting how different people forge. And then, but the funnier part is not funny, but the fact that there's so many people who can't just say, instead of saying, oh, well, your anvil's too short. It hurts my back. Well, you know, what Riley said was, well, maybe you should lose some weight and lose that gut. Your back <laughs> won't hurt so much. But what's interesting is, is you, we, when we look at forging, especially bladesmiths, we don't see, well, why do you think that that's happening? Or why do you think that we're using, why is the anvil height like this? And why is it like this? And you don't really kind of think about it. You just think about how it reflects on you and maybe you wouldn't mm -hmm. like it. 
Yeah, quite true. Yeah. Which yeah. makes me want to bring back an old bit. And um, it, we, we started this a long time ago. We started this bit. It was called, you know what you should do. And it would, the <laughs> listener is going to send in, hey, you know what you should do? And it's like tips, your tips. I want to preface it by saying, please don't write me a paragraph because it doesn't read well. Blah, I'll, give me three sentences, three sentences, not three run-on sentences, three sentences. And please, 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 whenever you write something, don't write at the end. Well, you can edit this if you want. I, I, I can't. It's like sometimes you guys send me like the, you know, chapter 10. What I wanted to start with was a tip that I figured out uh, this past week. This might be a tip for nobody would know or who gives a shit. I was using my electric etcher, my electro etcher for, for marking. Mm. And I hate buying new pads because if you buy a pack of pads, they're expensive. And it's like finding the right ones and getting a pack and it's 20 bucks per pack and this sucks. So I washed them. I washed the old pads and I dried them out and they work like brand new. I felt like I was a genius. This might be something everybody already knows. I didn't know. I washed the fucking pad, dried it out with the air compressor, and now I feel like... That was a tip that maybe somebody could use. <laughs> the image I got in my head was that you put them through the laundry machine. No, that you I just, just washed them in your sink. At, I rinsed your them shop. and then I, I rinsed them. I was pissed because we were, were running out of them. Yeah, I you know there's you go to these sites and then you get a pack of twenty and it's twenty bucks a piece. I'm like, why are these so expensive? I was like, I'm gonna wash one and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Ran it under the water and then I fucking dried it with the air compressor. I used it and I'm like, all right, I'm never buying in them again good as new have good you new. so have you ever cleaned up the surface of the the contactor yes okay because that will help too because the same shit that's on the surface of that contactor is what's getting filled up in that cotton pad yes and so that will also help with your uh connectivity and sh- and i guess cleanliness of your edge so yeah. send in if you're listening send in your you know what you should do uh a tip you know, so write your tips and we'll read them off. Yeah. So these yeah. are useful tips, not just uh, stupid could, advice that people <laughs> well, I mean, send enough. You know, it's like the guy who said to Riley Kirkpatrick, your, your anvil's too low. I mean, I, I can't, I'm not going to vet whether or not they're good tips or not. We can obviously decide on whether or not they're good or not, but yeah. I figured we'd bring that old chestnut back, which is usually, you know, what you should do is unsolicited advice. Yeah. Same thing, different name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, you know what you should do? If you are looking for um, a kiln, which we all need. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. There we go. Okay, should we do some questions? Please. Um, okay, I'll take the first one here from um, Vandal Blades, I think. Um, hey, guys, uh, just over here thinking about the, the Dharma Steel build-along, um, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, the recent rolling pin episode has got my brain feeling uh, a certain kind of way. My question idea is this. Would it be possible to hot roll our bits of stainless Dharma Steel to achieve a thinner and taller billet? I believe there are some shops with this capability. Uh, for example, the amazing fellas over at Baker Forge and Steel. Would our selection of Dharma Steel be compatible with a process like this? Thanks for everything. Um, so basically, he's talking about the, the Dharma Steel build-along, uh, which a number of you listeners are doing. Unfortunately, they have sold out of the steel that we were using for the build-along. Um, and he's just mentioned the limitation. So, um, yeah, 200 by 25 millimeters 
um, and 3.2 millimeters thick is the same bit of stock that we're all using for the build along. And the thing is, we can see, you know, what people make with this under this limitation. Um, and it's all Dharma steel, which we all know is great stuff. Um, but that's clever thinking. Try and make it bigger. Um, hot rolling. Would that work, Morocco, do you think? Uh, I think it can work. I mean, it's part of the process that they actually use at the Dharma steel uh, manufacturing or, yeah, the shop, the manufacturing mm -hmm. shop to get that material into a bar stock for us to use. Um, I think the biggest concern is that you have to work that material uh, at a very specific temperature range, which is no hotter uh, than 2,150 degrees Fahrenheit um, and no lower than 900. So you have a very small, or sorry, 1,900. So you have a very small window to work in. That's only maybe a couple hundred degrees. Um, yeah. And the sec and it's so easy. If if you don't have a thermocoupler or some sort of temperature control on your forge, it is so easy to accidentally go over that temperature. And the second that material starts to degrade, um, when steel starts to melt, it doesn't turn into liquid immediately. It starts to melt along the grain boundaries first, and it becomes a kinetic sand. I've definitely done this myself. Um, not only with damascus steel material, which was a very costly mistake, but also even with Crewforge V. Crewforge V has a really uh, high chrome content and and carbon content, and both of those elements, along with like um, the damascus steel, bring the melting temperature down to a lower to a lower temperature, and so it's easier for that to happen. And so it turns into this kind of kinetic sand, and it, it once it does that, it is not going back at all so um it's a you you could do it but it or it could be done but the the chances of making a kind of a, a fatal mistake are pretty yeah. high um i think when i first started working through damage steel and i didn't have a thermocouple or any kind of way to work out of a, a temperature controlled forge and so i was just kind of eyeballing things and i burned up probably close to three thousand dollars worth of material before i figured it out um, some people just call that bladesmith tuition. Um, I try to think of it in that way, but it still hurts a little bit. Um, so yeah, have fun, try it, but, um, just be careful. And if it gets yeah. fucked up, don't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> shout shout yes. out to the newest band at the blade show, kinetic sand. I, I, I also found your drummer, Don Nguyen plays the drums. Oh yeah. Don Nguyen. Oh, there we go. He Don also Nguyen plays, plays bass and guitar as well. You got a you got a super group, Craig. There we go. I know. Kinetic sand know. and or Spanish notch. The Spanish notch. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah, but that is clever thinking. Um, taking this piece of Dharma steel and making it into something else before you start the work. Yeah. Question. Um, yes. It, because it's so narrow and so thin, how would you be able to stretch it wider? Most of those, most of those rollers aren't wide. That's yeah, true. And yeah. can you? It can when you're rolling something out, can you will it roll the same uh, thin wise that 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 short width wise? Yeah, and so I think the reason he refers to um, Baker Forge and Stool is uh, stool. <laughs> no, Baker Forge and Stool. <laughs> Baker Forge and Steel. Um, <laughs> Shout out to BakerForge.com. <laughs> They're the shit. Um, there you brilliant. go. Look at you. Look at brilliant. that. You fucking tagged it. Tagged it. Good one. Uh, 
they have a reversible uh, uh, rolling mill, so you don't have to only send it one direction. You can it's got it because it runs on hydraulics, and so it can go forward and immediately be reversed. Um, and but the problem is, is if you're going to do that, you have to have some sort of purchase. You have to have something you're holding onto it with. Oh yeah. Uh, and if you're rolling down the length of the bar, that's easy to do. But if you're rolling down the width from only 25 millimeters, that's not that much. I mean, that's what, like an inch. Inch, yeah. Yeah, it's hardly anything. So that would also be insanely sketchy to try. You get some flat-ass tongs. <laughs> I guess. Get yeah. them tongs all flat. <laughs> called a flatter. You yeah. get them flat tongs. <laughs> speaking of, sorry for interrupting, but speaking of uh, the rolling pins... Shout out to Jesse Losey <laughs> Knives and uh, oh, yeah. Plumley Knives for recreating <laughs> the Lockwood rolling pin method for straightening blades. Very you know funny. what? It sort of worked, too. Sort <laughs> of worked. Why do you mean sort of bit worked? Of, bit of refinement, and I think you're good to go. I think I, I think it could work. I, if you had two rolling, you could make a rolling wheel, rolling wheel. I, I, th- I think it's great. I think it's a great <laughs> idea. It's funny. <laughs> I'm for it. There we go. There we go. But anyway, back to uh, yeah, Dharma Steel. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, um, head over to dharmasteel.se because they make the world's best stainless Damascus. Uh, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, and they are Dharma Steel Lab on Instagram too. And if if you are doing the build along with us, bear with us. We've got plenty of time, but we're going to start ramping up. You know, so it's, it's, you know, looking at the kind of stuff people are building with Dharma Steel build along is the hashtag. And, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because I said we've all got these limitations of this one piece. It's yeah. going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, this next one is from Nordic Steel. He says, hi, guys. I see that most peeps are using PVC pipes for their etching containers. Does the PVC break down over time or any degradation in the glue joint? Uh, would, alum- would an aluminum tube with a welded-on end cap work, or has anyone had any cross-contamination during the etching? Asking for a friend. So PVC versus other sorts of constructions for etching tubes. What do you think? Maybe trying to over-engineer a problem that doesn't exist. Maybe, I don't know. Um yeah, I don't. I've, I've I've never heard of anybody having any issues with PVC pipes, I, but um, I don't know. But Morocco, how do you store yours? In PVC pipes, tubes. <laughs> um, I think the only yeah. potential issue with PVC is, um, it, I think, is potentially storage. And and it because it is plastic. If you are letting it, like, uh, if you clean it out or change the tube out often, and it spends any time, either dry or in the sun, and then and then wet again, um, I think that can potentially be really, it can make the plastic brittle. PVC can, can be, can be brittle. And, uh, I have had, um, tubes crack because I'm like dangling the blade over, say I'm just, I just heat treated the knife and I just do enough of a grind. It's not finished ground, but just enough of a grind to get a look at the pattern. I have dropped the blade at, to the bottom of the thing and it's only like 14 inches, but if it's an eight inch blade, that's whatever the difference is, six inch drop and, um, hit the bottom crack and then acid start flowing out everywhere. Um, which is not awesome. 
So something that I have heard of people doing is gluing maybe wood or some sort of um, like a dense plastic, like the kind of plastic that those kind of plastic, cheap plastic cutting boards are made out of, mm-hmm. gluing that to the bottom before uh, as part of the assembly, just to help buffer and uh, buffer the bottom and, and strengthen the bottom. But otherwise, I haven't heard of the glue having any issues because um, even though it's an acid, um, I think the glues that are used for putting together PVC pipes have all kinds of gnarly things flowing through them in all kinds of different applications. Feces. Well, yeah, there's that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's the shit. (laughs) I don't know why that word makes me laugh, but. It's a medical I think it's fucking funny. (laughs) Well, there's a bigger issue. I'm going to change the subject. The bigger issue is is uh, our friend Jason Knight did a video where he said if you're quenching in PVC pipe, that is bad. I don't think he used the word bad. I think he said if you're if you're using PVC pipe to quench. You're storing your oil, and you're quenching in PVC pipe. I think the exact term he said was, and he said it on his reels, he said, you're stupid. So I don't know. uh, I mean, that's something else altogether, but I think that's kind of more of a dangerous situation, Mm -hmm. oil quenching in PVC pipe, because I think you probably, you touch that side of that thing, and maybe you burn right through there. Yeah. Have a problem. Yep. Okay, um, Jeff, take the next one. All right, this one comes from JVB Knives Canada. Question, do you ever feel starstruck at one of your customers? Uh, And how do you make the situation not weird? Starstruck from one of your customers. Hmm. How do you make Mm. the situation not weird? You know what was the weirdest for me and the most nerve-wracking is not necessarily um, stars, as in, you know, sort of, celebrities use my knives because you know there's a couple out there that are but just out of the blue getting a text from morocco using one of my knives and this is like an old knife from years ago as well oh, I'm just right. like, oh fuck <laughs> yeah that that that's a bit discerning that is to be honest with <laughs> you, you we need um, to talk about another this make and yeah and other makers using your stuff is because you know they're going to look at it slightly differently to you know the average customer and that always makes me feel just a little bit sort of uptight this is something that we mentioned like a month or so ago when you weren't here around, Mareko, that yeah, it was in you sent some message. You know, you'll send a little text saying, look what I found. And it's, it's our knives, and it makes us feel uncomfortable. <laughs> you made us feel nervous. Inadequate. <laughs> you made us both feel nervous. Oh, you felt like that too? Oh, 100%. <laughs> always. Always. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, yeah. I mean, to f- be fair, I feel that same way. <laughs> When somebody right, says deflection. they've either seen my knives or they're used my knives, I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck is so the so first it, thing yeah. he said. Oh, for <laughs> fuck's up sake. slightly. Yeah. Look what I got. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. That's all. Jeez. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah. So how do you not feel weird about that, I suppose, is the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think around the celebrity thing, when, when I first started to pick up uh a lot of interest and people getting interest in my interested in my knives and and fancier people reaching out i i was definitely kind of like whoa really is that person want something from me and i think part of that is just like me like a self-confidence thing where i'm just like who why why would they want something from me 
Um, but as I've gotten older and I've had a few of these experiences, I, I, I think ideally, hopefully in general, as you get older, you realize people are just people. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're fancy celebrities or super rich or whatever, like it honestly it doesn't really matter. It's important. And, and what's actually, sometimes they can be <laughs> the worst. The people who can afford it the most are sometimes the worst customers. Um, hmm. so I, I have found at least, but fortunately a, most, most customers have been really, uh, really great. That is true. They don't, they don't become rich by giving it away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So JVB Knives Canada, I hope that's answered your question, but uh, guys, I've got a question for you. If you're in Canada and you're looking for some knife equipment, where would you go? I'd go to Eastern Canada, the Maritime Knife Supply. There we go. Our, our man, Lawrence Lakes. He's he's got it all. He'll take care of us. Everything. Yeah. Distributors for combat abrasives, Rhino Wet, Rhino Stick. Anything we mention on the show, basically Lawrence gets in stock. Maritime Knife Supply dot com. Uh, and they're also Maritime Knife Supply on Instagram. So go follow. Um he's often got deals, that kind of thing. Um he's got all the good stuff. And they're sponsors of the Great Lakes Custom Knife Show. Uh, uh, in Ontario, August 19th. It's Canada's largest knife show located in picturesque shores of Lake Huron, featuring some of the best talent the Canadian knife-making community has to offer. Go follow the Great Lakes Custom Knife Show or visit greatlakescustomknifeshow.com for more information. Go. Okay. Crown and Cutlass Custom Blades, a question. And the way people get these questions to us is via Instagram. We are Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. DM us your questions, and we'll add them to the list. Um, and Crown and Cutlass Custom Blades done exactly that. And he says, on a forged blade uh, where the bevels are forged in, how do you find the center line for grinding? Do you scribe it in somehow, or do you just eyeball the center of the blade? Um, so the, the bevels are actually forged in. Um, yeah, how are you then going to find that center, Morocco? Uh, I just eyeball it. I I, I, gr- I grind pretty evenly, and I check it often. But I'm I'm not using any kind of measurement system except for, except for my eyes and some good lighting. And I, and I found that a, a, uh, some sort of white background, whether it's a a whiteboard or drywall or whatever, uh, really helps to be able to see things. Um. But I, it is a challenge, and it's always been an issue. And I'm working on a little jiggy situation, a jig that helps with finding center lines, not only on blades, um, but also like especially for hidden tang uh, handled knives. Um, that's I'm hoping hoping in the next six months or so to get into production. Which will be very and jiggy with it. And jiggy with nice. it. Yeah, help people. Help people because honestly, I, I I've always just eyeballed things, but I'm realizing like I want this to be. I want to be able to do this work for as long as I can, and I know that I'm not always going to be able to rely on my eyes, and so trying to figure out jigs and measuring systems that work um, to find those things, so I don't have to rely on my ocular units. Another mm-hmm. band name, <laughs> the, the Ockley Units. That's actually pretty good. That's kind of better than the Kinetic Sand. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jeff, um, do you have any any tips for that when you're forging in bevels? He, to find he, I mean, Mareko hit the. I mean, I ain't gonna add anything to it. Um, yeah. I ain't gonna add anything to it. But we do have. Uh, no, yeah, I'm not gonna add anything to it. Um, okay. 
We have listener feedback. We also have dumb things people said. We keep going to questions, whatever you want. Okay, let's do a couple of listener feedbacks then. They're always good fun. All right, so guys, if you, we actually just one got one on the hotline. Actually, really, really, really good, Matt Angle, Angel. Um, if you want to send us any, DM us any uh, questions, uh, you know what you should do. It's dumb things people say, listener feedback, go to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. We're pretty active there. You can send us your, you know, whatever you want there. Uh, but the first one is from the hotline. Just came in just now. Uh, this one's from Matt Angel, AD Knifeworks. He says, I'm behind on episodes. I just got to your furry talk. We were talking about furries, people who dress up in a... Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get a, you know, get, yeah, you ask for the hotel manager to put a cat box in your hotel room. Being in the army, you run into all that kind of weird groups of people that you would never meet otherwise. If you really want a weird one, look up bronies i don't know if we've talked about bronies but that's grown men that like my little pony the mm, shit oh. is the stuff of nightmares have you ever heard of a brony <laughs> never heard of that yeah, we're I so have. behind this brony but talk my was kids huge. are obsessed with my little pony the movie at the moment bronies, well there is right. i mean do I have you heard of bronies Mareka? yes would you like to so do they do they dress up or i i don't know but i live in a, in a town full of weird people you don't know, but you're, you know, but you're not saying you're being very gentle. What a brony is, is a grown man who has a sexual appetite for the cartoon My Little Pony. Yes. And there's and like... They do, they do dress up. And just I there. just remember, because Howard Stern did a whole thing on it, someone who, who is a brony, they'll pretend, you know, there are levels to being a brony, but people who watch... My Little Pony for sexual gratification is called a clopper. <laughs> <laughs> a clopper. So there's a brony con as well yep, where they all brony get together. Con, yep, yep. Yeah. But he's, oh, wow. he's. I'm sorry to hear. If you're a brony and if you're a furry listening to this podcast or or identify as a brony or a or a um, furry or a brony, send us a message. Tell us why. I want to know why. So. Cloppers, keep it to yourself. We're not interested in you. I wonder how Stone Cold feels about them almost taking his phrase, the what is it, jabroni. Jabroni. Jabroni is a wrestling term for I, like a ham and egger. Or a, yeah, I know. But it's What's so a ham and egger? Ham and egger is also, you know, someone, you know, like a... You're like four levels deep of misunderstandings for me here. Like, that's exactly a, what you're talking that's about. An old, that's an old, it's same thing as like, a, you know, like, a, you know, a, a, you know, a... A regular person who's like a nothing special person is a ham and egger. That's an okay, old radio. Okay, just channel. regular. Okay, yeah. We, so this we one say comes basic. From, somebody's basic now, right? Yeah, for basic. I got yeah, you. he's a ham yeah. and egger. Uh, or a clopper. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that is crazy. That is, these, some of these cons are totally crazy. And, you know, I, I mean, being a grown man who is like into My Little Pony is fucking bizarre. Yes. Although the songs are pretty banging in the movie, I've got to say. Can, just sticking your head. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. And then That's all I hear all day. Do you think that they... Ugh, let's not talk about this anymore. I've had it. I was going to go down a bad road. Bingo Kendall writes in. Our friend Bingo Kendall writes in. Hey, Bingo over here. Uh, you guys need to get more hungover because that show last episode was on point. So <laughs> Bingo liked us being hungover. I particularly did not like being hungover. But fine. <laughs> I will um, say it was great though. Every time we throw it to you, you're just like, 
Yeah, so <laughs> you were just like, you sounded so over it. <laughs> I, I was very, in the beginning of it, I, I was very hungover. Very, yeah. very, I had like, I was like sweating. It was not good. Actually, this morning, the reason why I didn't walk the dogs was because the dog saw this guy walking down the street at seven o'clock in the morning and he was drunk. He'd been out all night long oh, wow. and like holding himself together, walking down the street. My dogs are terrified. They like fear, they like feared for their lives. But I was just like, oh God, I know what that's like. Just walking home drunk <laughs> at seven o'clock in the morning. Like, fuck oh, that shit. Walk the shame. So thank you, bingo. We're with you. Paul Jansen says, Craig needs to make a damn steel rolling pin for the build along now. <laughs> Uh, Hinterland Rover says, so doing some catch up on listening to, uh, tell, tell nut to butt Craig. <laughs> this is back when you, we missed the episode because you were on a train and there were uh, like, yes. you were on a train <laughs> no, and it was like, nut to butt. Okay. You were yeah. Nut to butt. He <laughs> said, he said, you should have known that this town can bring you down. Oh, he was trying to do a deep cut with one of your songs. <laughs> nice. This town can bring you down. And then he writes... Taylor Swift, turn in your man card. Stay strong, Fader. Not a Taylor Swift fan, Hinter, wow. Hinter Hinterland Forge. Different strokes. Different strokes. Listen, Different he's probably strokes, a brony. Yes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, that, man, that's not true. No, we're not we're with you, Hinterland Forge. I mean, you know, what if you don't like, you know, overcompensating with, uh, you know, not like exactly, Taylor Swift? Yeah. We're with you, man. I'm with you. 100%. I'm comfortable with my manhood. Thank you very much listening to whatever the hell I like. Yeah, you are. That's because you are a brony. Uh, Plumley <laughs> Knives says, I was listening to another podcast this weekend, and they were so happy that Mareko told them that they weren't a Fleabag podcast at Blade Show. Then the last episode of Knife Talk, Jeff was saying how being called a Fleabag was a good thing. I was laughing when I heard him say it, uh, and the other show was a little too happy to not be called one. I guess that's what happens when you aren't the ni- number one knife-related podcast on this German-infested planet. Look, it, we're saying that. Don't worry about it. Everything's everybody's fine. Everybody's fine. There are new podcasts popping up every five minutes, and uh, you know, God bless them. Yeah. Um, Josh Joss writes, "Thanks, guys. I would never have thought the question about 3D printing would lead to a talking about sucking tongues by the Dalai Lama. That was an old deep cut. <laughs> that was a while back. That was yeah. a while back. Yeah, we were talking about <laughs> somebody was somebody was asking. Yeah, that is quite a transition to talk about 3D yeah. printing. To uh, how can the Dalai Lama ruin <laughs> Tibet Buddhism by by trying to tell his kid to suck on tongues?" tongues. <laughs> um, and then that burnt end bit on the last show had me crying with laughter. That's another big, big Jake. We're talking about big Jake while I was driving. I almost had a pullover. I have a rookie mistake. Uh, this is still Joss. Grabbing steel out of the forge with tongs that don't quite fit the profile properly and thinking it'll be all right, only to have the steel fly across the forge after the first blow of the hammer. In relationship to that, what's everyone's most used type of tongs for knife forging or making? Tongs. What kind of tongs do you guys like to use? Tongs. I've got one set of tongs, and they were made by you, Jeff. Yeah. You need a better pair of tongs. Those are some... And the only the only reason I use them is to get stuff out of the even heat yeah. uh, for quenching. That's, that's basically... Because I was using, quite happily using, that pair of, pair of grips. Advice grips. Yeah, that's um, some bullshit. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Those are the only, the only ones I have. Um, I mean, you see people with racks and racks and racks of tongs. I understand that you need different tongs for different things. Um... But again, is that a sort of general purpose that'll do it all for you? No. No. Okay. Well, what do you think, Reco? 
I wish I had more tongs. Um, I the, Probably the ones I use the most when forging are a pair that were actually made by our friend, Matthew Parkinson. Um, they have a, a kind of a straight jaw bit on the bottom, and then the top one's kind of curvy. Uh, so it allows you to hold on to the tang end of the handle or, or of a knife when you're forging it out without um, anything kind of getting in the way. And uh, I really like them a lot, and they've been, they've been really useful full over the years. And, God, uh, yeah, as soon as I can get to those, I, I use them. Those um, are like a channel end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't have a V. They're, they have a channel. Is that what that's called when it's well, kind of a rectangular shape? You no, know, well, V-bit are different than, <clears throat> like, like, flat bar tongs, yeah. which are usually... Tongs are interesting because nobody wants to pay for them. Like I was talking when I was talking to uh, Riley about it, Riley was just like, "I love making tongs." He said, "They're so much harder to make than a hammer," which is true. But nobody wants to pay money for tongs, mm. which is totally crazy. Yeah. And um, you know, for farriers, they're using it actually not only to forge their their the uh, the horseshoes, but they're using to hold it so they can kind of like burn on the hot horseshoe onto the hoof safely. Because they're holding right. it at a at a you know at a weird angle, so there's different sizes and yeah, I mean there I have hundreds of tongs, and uh, well, not hundreds of tongs. I probably got like fifty tongs, and um, they're wow. great. I mean, but at the same time, nobody wants to pay for them. Nobody really wants to make them, and, mm-hmm. and uh, but they're the most useful. And, and a lot of people suffer because they refuse to either make them or buy them. I used to get messages like, oh, I don't know how to. What kind of tongs should I get? I can't hold my material properly. And it's so crazy because once you get tongs that fit correctly, it changes the way you forge. All of a sudden, you're much more confident. You know, not slapping around in your tongs. Mm -hmm. It is something that's overlooked. Yeah. Well, I'm just looking on TexasFireSupply.com now, and they've got like dozens and dozens of different types. Yeah. Um, wolf jaws, offset, round tongue. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, so many. So whatever purpose you've got, I'm sure they'd have what you need. And you know what? We can get you a discount as well. Um, if you put Knife Talk 10 in a checkout, you'll get 10% off whatever you want, whether it's tongs, even if it's sandpaper, because they do sell it. They've got Rhino Wet, uh, Rhino Stick. They've got it all there. Um, so fill up that basket with some Rhino Wet. It's the best sandpaper out there. Um, I'm sure Mareko will tell you that after he'll be doing some of that Crew Forge V this week. Um, that's the only stuff to use. Um, so, yeah, TexasFireSupply.com. Use Knife Talk 10 and you'll get 10% off your order. It was crucial. It was crucial. So necessary. It took, mm. uh, I think it took me about two and a half hours to handstand one side. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Two and a half hours? Yeah. One side? One side. Standing oh, over geez. my blade, scrubbing the sh- and it's like just like a standard nine inch long chef's knife. <sighs> oh, that's like worse than like four forty C stainless. It might be actually. Oh, hundred percent. You, if you, if we, if we had to do one side of a, a knife two and a half hours, <laughs> someone's gonna get someone's gonna get might get fired. Frankly, <laughs> you know, there, there would be a, there'd yeah. be a little strong talking to. Yeah. Um, wow. But uh, we have we could do one we could do uh, dumb things people said uh, if you want we have a lot of those 
Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of dumb people out there, so let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a great bit inspired by Falcon Knives AK. We're gonna. Well, I got a, more than I expected, so maybe we'll do another week or two of it. But uh, the if you want, if you want to send dumb things people have said to you, and it's not just in general, not like you know, a guy said to me something in the supermarket, but like you know, at a knife show, or you know, somebody would say, or a customer, or yeah. you know, like yeah. uh, things that you say that you immediately know, like this isn't a, this isn't a stupid thing. Uh, so first one comes from Austin Booth. Austin Booth says, not at an event, but I constantly get asked, is this a good steal? And he goes, no, you fucking dumbass. I use the worst steal possible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. What do you think people mean when they're asking a question? I mean, are they, is it just like just trying? To, I mean, who would say, no, this isn't the best? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I feel like characteristics like what kind of metal it's made out of. Um, it is a talking point for marketing and advertising and stuff like that. Even though most often, like, it's arbitrary. I mean, at a certain mm -hmm. point, uh, I think it's important, you know, it's important you're not using mild steel for a knife, but um, I don't know. It's just like an arbitrary talking point for companies. And so people... Uh, take what they see out in the world and in the market and they when they walk up to you in a, at a show or at or at a market and um see your work they don't know what to yeah. fucking say honestly that's probably it they don't know what to say so they they want to sound like they're asking smart questions yeah. but they don't actually think it, know what they're saying <laughs> that's what it is it's like a, it's almost like a little flex as if to say i know enough to know that there's right. there's different types of steels but they don't know how deep this well runs, you know? They're, they're mm -hmm. like, oh, that's that's my limit, really, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, it is a strange one. But we're also in a very cloistered community that we seem to talk to each other and we think everybody knows what we're, you know, everyone's listening to us, but we're a relatively small cloistered community and we just kind of like yeah. bitch to each other and then when some poor schmuck comes over and says something stupid, we just lay him out. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Hooker says, I have some dumb things people said to me. My wife and I have a stand at a local's farmer's market where we sell flowers. In addition to flowers, I'll often bring small forged hooks and bottle openers to sell. Last weekend, I didn't have any forged stuff, so I brought an integral chef knife, and I was working on, uh, I was working on so people could see some progress, uh, work in progress. I had several mm -hmm. central Pennsylvania... Dumb fuck hillbillies. Wow. Shout out to Pennsylvania. <laughs> come up come up and start waving a partially finished kitchen knife around like he was Doug Markaida. Then he asked me with a straight face if I could make him a double-edged, eight-inch integral kitchen knife. I stared at him for a while, and I said, no, I don't do stuff like that. Uh, oh, I stared at him a while before just saying, no, I don't do stuff like that, nor do I know anyone who do stuff like that. And he told me... If I changed my mind, he would pay good money for it. <laughs> good money. I'll pay good money for it. In hindsight, I should have asked him what he thought good money was. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Hillbilly Jim was willing to shell out some money. Doubtful, though. Do you guys have a price point where you would agree to make something dumb or out of your normal wheelhouse? Great question. Mm. There's, yeah, there, speaking of our cloistered community, anybody who says, I'll pay good money for it, doesn't really have a good concept of what your good money is. Their good money yeah. might be way different from your good money. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. is there a price? Is Will price name everything? Will you make something that's out of your wheelhouse if the price is right? 
Hmm. I, th- I think if it's a fun thing to make anyway, that you'd enjoy doing, yeah. But if it's putting yourself through pain for something that you don't want to be doing, fuck that. Or you just charge more. There you go. <laughs> Good money. Oh, okay. So, Miracle, somebody comes to you and asks for a... Double-sided, basically a chef with, knife, but it's like a dagger. With a screwdriver built into the, uh, into the handle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to give you six grand for this thing. Um, are, are you prepared to stick a screwdriver in the handle? Sure. Is it like a separate screwdriver that? Oh, goes... you got you go into detail now. Yeah, okay, now really you're interested. Out, okay. The price is about to go up for Craig. This <laughs> 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 six grand is, is the is the base price. <laughs> <laughs> I want interchangeable ends. That's mm. what she said. <laughs> Another band name. Another band name from Blades. <laughs> so we got we got Kinetic Sand. We got the Spanish Notch. We got Ocular Units. And now we have Interchangeable Lens. Nice job. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the answer, Mareko? Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize you guys were waiting on me to answer. Uh, I'm possibly. Possibly. Okay. What about you, Craig? Um, like I just said, if it's something that I think I can have fun doing or something I could learn from doing that maybe I could do again in the future, it would be worth doing. Um, but if it's something I've never done and put myself through the pain of, you know, I suppose everything's got a price though, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I strike that. Everything's got a, got a price. Yeah. I would think this, I would think this, cause I mean, before I made knives, I made sculpture and there were times where in the beginning, I'm making sculpture I want, but there were times where somebody would approach me and say, I need, I want a sculpture of, I want you to come to my house. This is a real story. I want you to take pictures of my dogs, and I want you to make steel sculptures of my dogs. I never made anybody's dog. I've never made steel sculptures of dogs, but I was just like, got to pay the bill somehow. So I went up to this person's estate, took pictures of the dogs, hung out with the dogs, and then, you know, I made two dog sculptures. And it was like... If I can do it, I'll do it. That's the issue for me with the knife making stuff. Like sometimes I get a question and it's like, and if I can do it or I know how to do it, I'll do it. But if it's something wild that I've never done before, like, like a, like a, you know, like a a Swiss army knife, you know, moving with moving sections and stuff like that and different attachments and stuff, something I've never done before. I don't know. I don't, I don't have the R and D to, do it right the first time, I would never, I would say no. I've turned that, I've turned down pocket knives before just because like I've made a couple and they're not awesome. And it's just like, mm. I'm not willing to do the, my own R and D to do them right now. So, mm. yeah, you know, okay. The next one comes from our boy, J mod knives. Love J mod knives. So, he's a skateboarder out in, I think he's in Arizona, but he's, he's dynamite. Some people come over and skate the ramp once, and apparently one dude who knew everything about knife making. He insisted that we start some canister Damascus after we skate, and all you need is aluminum foil to get the mild steel not to stick to the billet, and if you cut one end off, the billet will fly out. And he goes, you have aluminum foil, right? (laughs) He goes, I'm not really sure, but I don't think that's the way it works. But after the skate session, I told him he had to leave because I had some place to be. People really think that they can just come over to skate and then that we can play with all my tools as well. Shit gets annoying. Cheers, boys. 
<laughs> there's definitely that lack of, and we've talked about this last week, and people just seem to think we're playing and that like yeah, yeah. we're, this is like an amusement park or something like that, and you can just come and show up and do whatever you want. What if you've got skateboard ramps and stuff in there? <laughs> maybe, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to make a point there. <laughs> you make a point there. Uh, maybe you're asking for it, JV. Uh, yeah, you know what? You're right. I think I think J Mod. I think you might be like perpetuating this idea of being like, you know, a free willed, free minded, fun type of guy, and they just think you're yeah. gonna do some skateboarding and then oh, let's pick some tan canister masks. Oh, you're right. Let's do it. Um, JVB Custom Knives and for Canada again says I had a weirdo walk up to me at maker at a maker market, and she said she didn't feel safe with me in her vicinity. Because oh. he was a knife maker. She didn't feel safe <laughs> with me in her vicinity. You, Yet she was... Uh, oh, right. You get that shit a lot. I mean, you get that shit a lot. One guy, I once at a party, and a guy says, don't don't make him mad, he makes knives. Well, that's, I'm not a, a fucking slasher. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean I use them for, like, you know, yeah. violence. But I've got... Have you guys yeah, gotten that crazy. before? Someone say that oh, they're... Oh, for uh, sure. Not so much of me, no, mm. no. No. You should have. You should have had. I, I would have been fun if you were at that band, you that practice. Um, you were playing at that last thing. <laughs> Step off. You I had like a knives. fucking big old knife on the side of your arm, side of your leg. Uh, <laughs> Chad Kimmel says uh, at Blade, a guy thumbed the edge of my knife and asked, "Do you sharpen them before I got to the show or not?" He says, "I almost lost it. I grabbed a piece of paper and carved S's down it, and I explained that it's just not a toothy edge." Then this motherfucker just bought it. It wasn't a small amount of money, no two three hundred dollar knife. I'm glad I didn't lose my cool. So I guess he like must have like pressed him into it. <laughs> mm, yeah, um, yeah, turned it round. Here's a good one from Naren Knives, our friend Naren M Knives. I guess this would fit under the dumb questions category. I recently had someone send me a message saying that they're interested in buying a knife for me, so I gave them my spiel and prices. His next two questions are. Do you use oxygen for your flame? And do you have a torch for heating up the steel? And that was it, and he just ghosted me. <laughs> you didn't want him. Oh, my God. Yeah. This, just imagine, like, if the person said, yeah, all right, I'm interested. And then the string of stupid emails that would follow. <laughs> do you get him. You get him. One time I could tell, we were. this is years ago, we had a customer who would ask a couple questions, and it seemed as though the emails changed to someone else writing them because it was a litany of other questions that they were completely written and asked differently about, like, you know, all of a sudden this woman was just like, oh, I just need a knife to cut my onions. And the next thing you know is, what's the Rockwell hardness of your, you know, your uh, knife? And will this be a full tang knife or will this be a uh, partial tang knife? And it was just like, this is not the same. Uh, one. Husband, I'll take over yeah. here. This just sounds like man's work <laughs> to That's me. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're not going to buy a knife. <laughs> you can't buy a knife. You, you got to let me deal with it. Is this a Wu Tang knife or a Poon Tang knife? <laughs> you know, you get that bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, those uh, are the same guys who will uh, will say to their wife, "Oh, you can't go to the car mechanic; they're just going to rip you off." Yeah, uh, you can't listen to Taylor Swift. That's not man's music. Yeah, yeah it's we not know, good. We know Hold the tight. Yeah, listen, you can't be a a clopper. I'm a clopper. 
All right, and the last one from this bit, and we'll leave it alone for a while, uh, is Daniel Miranda. Daniel Miranda says, Hey, guys, I recently started hearing the podcast, and I love it. This is my story for the dumb things people say. This year in a hammer-in, we were forging some knives. After I made my heat treatment, I went to grind my knife. This man came up standing next to me, and when he saw the colors of tempering my blade, he talked to me and said, I don't temper my blades because I like them hard. So... (laughs) So he goes, so I briefly explained why tempering is an important step in knife making. He goes, and he replied to me, "Is okay, the heat of the grinder will do the job." And continued grinding his knife. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. he so, likes it brittle. Oh, I don't, I don't temper my knives. My knives, I need them, I need them hard. So there you go. Dumb things people say they keep happening. People are, Yikes. people say some dumb shit, dudes. People are crazy. Right. Okay. We'll be back just after this little break. Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! Okay, Morocco. Nick Edwards has a question specifically for you. Um, hi, guys. Been been asked if I want a stall at the local farmer's market to sharpen knives. I'm seriously considering this, even though um, I won't be able to sell any knives there. So it's literally just for sharpening. Um, and he says, I think Morocco did this. Any advice or tips would be appreciated. That's Nick Edwards. I did do it. Uh, I think as long as you feel confident that you can turn knives around i think the people bringing knives to the market are expecting them to be like you'll be the first stop and you sharpen them and then by the time they're ready to leave the knives will be ready so if you're confident that you can turn them out quick enough um then that that will help um but i think if you're if you don't it, like sometimes some of the markets were insanely busy um and I think I maybe had uh, overextended myself a couple times when it got really busy like that uh, in the way that, you know, the, all of a sudden, maybe six or seven or eight people would drop off their knives within 10 minutes of each other. And um, it takes time. And some of the orders are really big. Some are only a knife or two. Um, mm. But some people would bring their whole fucking knife block and ask me yeah. to sharpen all the knives. And so that all takes time and that's just part of it and so trying to i guess when somebody drops off a knife just take a look at what you got and uh if (laughs) and uh and then try try to give an estimate of how long it's gonna take um i i think overestimating is better than underestimating um and then I, i i was fortunate that um where I did my market was right next to a culinary shop that I now do sh- my sharpening out of. And uh, if some people, like some people will drop off a block of knives 10 minutes before the market was going to close. And like, it's not going to happen. So the best I could do was offer for them. I-, I-, I could sharpen them and then they could pick the knives up from the sharpening or from the kitchen store that was adjacent to the market uh, later at their convenience. And fortunately people were understanding uh, and flexible with that. I think also when it comes to uh, just general setup, uh, I got a pop-up tent. I got it from Costco. Uh, It was a little bit more expensive than getting something offline. But I think when you buy things at Costco, it's kind of, you're paying a little bit of a premium for a pretty sweet insurance policy in the way that if anything goes wrong with it, Costco will take it back. Um, and so, as, I mean, I guess as long as it's 
<laughs> conventional usage. Uh, and you weren't doing any brony action with it or something like that. And so no clop in your tent, no clop in the tent. Uh, I, I, I did get sidewalls. Uh, you can buy sidewalls for your tents off of Amazon. Uh, some, one that, that helped with shading because as we're in the summertime, uh, that extra shade really helped. Uh, but two, it helps with like wind blowing things away, but also keeping people out of your booth so that they only come up to the front of your booth or a particular side of your booth. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that way, uh, I would, so I had three walls under my tent. Um, and I had two tables and one table basically com almost completely blocked off one side. Um, table was also from Costco as a short Costco promo right now. Yeah. Uh, Life talk 10 gets you 10% off anything <laughs> exactly. from Costco. Online only. It's only an online deal. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so one table was for like, I would have a little sign that had the pricing on it and I, I just like other, uh, like the Venmo and PayPal, how people could pay for things. And, um, and I can't remember, I don't remember what else I had on there. But anyways, uh, business cards and stickers or whatever. And then on the back table is where I would set the work. And then the grinder was in between. I think the biggest struggle was moving the grinder. It's obviously doable, but it can be pretty cumbersome um, to do. I had like, I have like a, just like a plinth kind of shelf situation that I put my grinder on. And that's what I was using um, to do the sharpening. Um, but I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, like have a lot of people are going to, very few people are going to want to pay cash. A lot of people want to use cash app or Venmo or PayPal. So have various apps ready to rock and roll uh, for you to accept payment because that uh, oddly at, at events becomes a little bit of a, or can become a hurdle. You don't want people paying you to become a hurdle. So be ready to <laughs> have all the apps, have accounts set up and ready to rock and roll. Um, bring snacks or lunch or something snacks. like that. I love bringing snacks. <laughs> I'm always about bringing the snacks because uh, you might get stuck behind your, or stuck in your booth for a while. And that's not fun. Or if, especially if you're, you know, if you struggle with low blood, blood sugar and stuff like that, it can be a problem. Um, that's, I don't know. I think that's, that's basically it. And, and what grinder would you use? I would use, I, well, I was using and always use my Broadbeck grinder, which is, you know, I'm made by our, our guys, Ryan and Vince over Broadbeck. It was great to see them at Blade Show. They make a great machine. Uh, and I was really thankful for its versatility because I would bring my Broadbeck uh, with a flat pat platen, which obviously uh, converts into a slack. Uh, I would, it also uh, allows me to use my rotary platen. And then, uh, and then I would also bring my buffing wheel, honestly, for, for all the different things that I might need to sharpen. And, um, and so if you go to broadbackironworks.com, I believe, and Craig can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's 10 knife talk, 10 to get yourself 10% off, uh, anything you get from them. And, uh, but yeah, they're great guys. It's a great machine. Go get them. Broadback and they Ironworks. sell a sharpening system too. Yeah, they should. Exactly. Yeah, 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 actually, yeah. I'm sorry. Forget about that. I actually, this past week, I was at a friend's house. I'm going to be making some sculpture for him. And he, we were at his house and he was saying, I could use a, could, would you mind sharpening some of my knives? I said, yeah, give me everything. So he gave me a pile of knives and I just decided to knock them all out. I'd never, ever sharpened 
ceramic knives before. Mm. And let me tell you, I will never do it again. <sighs> they fucking suck. It took me for three cheap paring knives. <sighs> it took me more time than to, 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 than to sharpen six long chef knives. And what happens? Do they do the chip? They, what, well, what's the deal? The with first them? thing is, is they chip. When, when, usually, when people want to sharpen them, they got some nicks in them. So yeah. for some reason, that you can barely grind them. Like you can grind, you know, you grind them back. But to sharpen them, the abrasive belts. And I had to go to YouTube, and they were saying you got to use diamond things, and mm. you know, you can't you can't treat it like steel. And the other thing is, there's no fucking burr. Like the burr, when you're sharpening a knife, the burr is tells you a lot. Like you don't have to see as much. If you feel the burr, you know you're in the right direction. But those ceramic knives, there is no burr. There's no burr. Right. And it was like I had to write them back. I said I got them as, and I had to use. And you, could all, I was watching the sparks from the back, and it was like it was ridiculous. It didn't work on the Tormek. Didn't work on the whatever. And I, and I wrote them back. I said I did the best I could. Don't buy this bullshit again. These ceramic knives are impossible to sharpen. So hard. Couldn't well, believe it. They're made for, basically so people can be lazy, is the idea is that they stay really sharp. But the problem, and, and they will, honestly. Just like ceramic knives will take a sharp edge. And they'll hold, but the problem is they, because they're so hard and brittle because of the ceramic they're made from, they chip like crazy. Big chips so they too. Are, they're not tough. But the idea is that they're made for, I think for me, they're made for people to be lazy uh, and, and have a tool that stays sharp. But unfortunately, most people just do not use their knives in that way. And I think, honestly, the companies that make those fucking knives probably know that just fine. And so they're like, oh, yeah, they'll just buy more. But yeah, ceramic... I mean, the problem with ceramic is it's, and which is why so many of our belts are made from ceramic, is it's such a hard material. Uh, and it's great for cutting metal, but ceramic on ceramic is a bitch. And you do have to go higher in hardness when it comes to cutting it. And yeah, the diamonds, it's the only way to do it. But and, it was and like anybody impossible. who's asked me to sharpen a ceramic knife, I'm like, get a new knife. <laughs> I'm not sharpening that. I've learned my lesson. I learned my lesson because I mean I was literally just like this is getting worse and worse. The funny part was like okay, there's no burr, but I don't have to worry about like burning it. You know, sure. it's, I don't have to worry about temp mm. ruining the temper anymore. Right. So I was up against it, and it was crazy. But it was just like it was it was impossible to sharpen, impossible. Mm -hmm. Or I just wasn't doing it right. But I was. The crazy part was is just like everything you know about sharpening is out the window <laughs> because there is no burr. So how right. do you? And then yeah. there's no reason to strop afterwards either if there's no burr. You know? Yeah. It was annoying. So. Yeah, was a... hmm. Okay. Um, another question for, well, Mareko and Jeff this time. This is from Ashley Edwards. Uh, hi, guys. Got a question from Mareko and Jeff. Have you ever thought about following in Craig's footsteps and moving to the countryside? No neighbors to worry about, no noise issues, uh, cheap land and a close-knit community. He says he's fortunate to live on acreage and loves the freedom of space and the fact that he can modify his workshop however he likes. Rural life has a lot going for it. Um, yeah, so he's wondering what Mareko and Jeff, whether you've, whether you've ever considered moving further out something that's a little bit quieter with a bit more space. I would love to, but property around here is fucking expensive. 
actually, we, we we went camping last week in the in, at the same pl- spot that we were just at the lake at yesterday. And to get there, you drive through some of the more some of the rural areas, and um, there were some for sale signs. I pulled them up on Redfin, and it's the properties are like seven hundred thousand for five acres, uh, like a two bedroom, one bath house, no garage, no shop or anything. I'm just like fuck, because <laughs> that's I mean obviously that's a house, but it would it would not work for us for for us to get into something that would have the kind of space we're looking for in a more rural area with uh, a shop, we're looking at least 800,000 or more. And so that's my biggest hurdle right now is it's fucking expensive. But you don't think you could do it? Oh, I've just, hopefully someday. Yeah. There you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> Let's got to have faith to get back to it. You know, I would love, I would love there. The problem is, is I, my dad had a place in the middle of nowhere and I loved it, but it was scary too. That's, it was like, I remember as a kid, like I hear a noise and just like, you know, but then I also grew up in, in Manhattan and I liked hearing the noise outside. I'm at a point now and I've been with my wife coming up on 25, 26 years. I can't remember, but it's been a long time. She doesn't, she likes our, she likes being able to walk to town. She likes to be able to walk. She doesn't want to live in in the middle of nowhere. And I agree with that. I also like having my shops kind of in the middle of nowhere. So I like that separation. I could live anywhere as, you know, anywhere she wants to go. We were, we're toying with the idea of moving back into the city, which I kind of really, really like. I just love, I love living in the city. I just, there's something, there's a vibrancy about it. And it's, there's something, when we lived on 14th street and first Avenue, we first moved in together. The whole city was your backyard. Like you could walk anywhere. Mm. We were walking down to Chinatown and little Italy and the East village and the West village. And I loved being able to do anything and go anywhere. I loved it. And I could totally see myself doing that again if I had the right situation. But, um, yeah. I could live in the middle of nowhere, but at the same time, it's like if Hillary doesn't want to live in the middle of nowhere, then I'd rather, I want to be where she wants to be. Yeah. It's about the people. Right. Nice. Very nice. Okay. I need to tell everybody about Knifeprint. Knifeprint.com. Um, if you are a, a knife maker, which I assume you are if you're listening, um, you've obviously considered, you know, sort of CAD, 2D CAD and designing on a computer. Um, well, go to Knifeprint.com. You don't need to download anything. It's all done in a browser. Um CAD design. They've made super, super simple. Um, they've got a really good sort of education center in there where they've got some great makers explaining how they use it. Um, it's brilliant. It's super, super simple, easy to learn. Um, they've got specialist tools which are specific for knives as well. So it's not just like any other sort of CAD system. But here's the thing. Once you've designed your knife, you can do a number of things. You can share it with other people. You can you know, print out a bit of paper and you've got your template. But you can press print and they'll also actually uh, like laser jet it out or they water jet it out a blank for you and send it in the mail. So you pick the stock that you want, the thickness, um, and they'll do it for you. Uh, so go take a look, knifeprint.com. Um, it's, yeah, it's just really forward thinking. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Go take a look, knifeprint.com. Well, back to the last question. Could you, either one of you guys live in the city? I have massive hankerings for the city um, sometimes, just for the convenience, as you just said, being able to walk to, you know, all your favorite places, that kind of thing. Um, And 
Yeah, I do. But I, I sort of live the best of both lives here at the moment because we, we spend a lot of time back in the UK as well um, where, you know, everything is just so, so convenient, so convenient. And we're in that complete polar opposite here. I mean, it, it's like we are in the 1920s here, you know. Uh, you know, people say, you know, can't you... You know, can't you get an Uber or anything here? It's like you can't get a taxi here. There's nothing, nothing. You know, you you, you can't phone for deliveries of food and all the rest of it and, that, and all, all that kind of stuff. You sort of miss the conveniences. Um, but you know, we're here for the number one reason is it's it's a lot of space for the kids and it, you know it's a slightly easier, um, less stressful upbringing for children. Um, but yeah, I I do miss all that convenience and and. I'm lucky that we sort of pop back into that quite regularly. You know, we're only what hour and twenty minutes on a plane um, to get back into that when we, when we need to, which which we do every sort of you know four or five weeks. We end up back in back in the UK anyway. Um, so yeah, I I do like the sort of juxtaposition of them both, both being extremes of the other. I quite like mm. that. What's I, the, if you don't want to oh, cook, no. sorry, one second, yeah. Mark. If you don't want to cook, Craig, your family doesn't want to cook, and you want to get some takeout, how far is the closest place for takeout? Um, well, the nearest, sadly, is a McDonald's, uh, which is about 40 minutes oh away. Oh, my God. I don't think, um, number one, just don't pretend and say sadly, number one. <laughs> well, it is sadly. I mean, oh, sadly, sadly you want it closer? No, listen, sadly, it's become a treat because it, it it's not just about the food. It's about the case of not having to cook and being able to go out mm-hmm. and, you know, the kids are happy, that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's about 40 minutes that's away. That's the closest um, restaurant to you is 40 minutes away? I mean, there's restaurants here, but, they you know, they, they're not like takeout places. You know, they're, they're, they're restaurants. Um, we've got a little tiny restaurant in our village here. Um but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a very different way of living to when we're back in the UK, where it's just like, oh my, everything is on tap. Mm-hmm. Anything you possibly want can be with you within minutes, you know. Um, yeah, so it's it's the complete opposite, which is, you know it has its perks as well. Um, but yeah, I I do like the both. I uh, Craig, is the is the restaurant in your village? Is it good? Oh, no, really shitty, <laughs> really <laughs> shitty. It's, and it's like all the little villages around here, they all have these little, tiny little restaurants, you know. And the problem is you never know when they're going to be open because they're, you know, they're run by a family or whatever and they don't keep, you know, we're in France here. They, if they want to open, they will. Sure. If they don't, they, they fucking don't. Um, and that's what we find really strange here, that the, the mentality of the... Uh, um, I won't say if the French, because that you know that's in a sense that they're very different. They're not, but um, the mentality of sort of rural life here is very different. Um, where you know, spending time with family is more important than anything. So we've we've been in restaurants and in bars where it's like it's like busy and it's getting busier and busier, and they you know they're obviously taking a fair bit of money there, um, but then they'll just say, "Well, we're closing. We you know we've made enough today." kind of thing you know and you know to come from a mentality back in the uk whereas you know this is good let's keep this open as long as we can um it does take some getting used to some getting used mm. to i mean shops here still closed for two hours every lunch even on a saturday afternoon where we, we go to like the diy store to buy something that we need we're doing something with the house and you know they'll be shut for two hours on a saturday afternoon and it's just like ah oh massively inconvenient but also that's one of the reasons we're here that slower pace but sometimes it can just be yeah 
it can really rub, rub me up the wrong way. I'm like, fucking hell, these people. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Is, is, uh, will you co-sign on the hot take that French food at a street level, when I mean like street levels and like normal everyday restaurants, quality... Is not good. It's not good. It That's not a bad hot not, take, is it? <laughs> not good. And I think... There are a few restaurants within within sort of hour and a half from here, which we'll we'll go to occasionally, which are like high end, read ridiculously beautiful, like amazing. Um, but generally, your average place around here, this it's, it's a bit sort of stuck in the seventies. Mm. You know, I'd imagine their menu hasn't changed since the seventies. Um, yeah, so we're, years yeah. ago when we went to France, we brought my kid to, to Paris. We felt that, and I've been to Paris enough that the food was overrated as from like yeah. just going to regular places, not going to fa- fancy places. We, I remember, I'll never forget my wife ordered chicken at a restaurant, a fucking leg of chicken showed up with the hoof and everything. And that's oh, it. Yeah. No yeah, sides, yeah. no green, no potatoes, nothing. It was a fucking leg of chicken. <laughs> it was under seasoned. It tastes like shit. And, and I was like in Paris and I was just like, bro, three quarters of the meals we had in Paris sucked. Yeah, I'd say that they've been living on their reputation, their past glories of maybe back in the eighties, where it was considered, ooh, you know, you know, Parisian food or you know, even French food, um, which you know, most other cultures have taken from. They've taken right. bits from, um, but the French don't really do that much. They don't take from other cultures very well. Um, so, for example, spice. We can't find anything spicy here anywhere. Because the French don't do it, they they do they do creamy and buttery and rich stuff quite well. Um, but when it comes to other other foods, they ju- they just don't do it. They're, they're they're very much stuck in their ways. And I think nothing really has changed since those days in the eighties. Whereas you know the rest of the world, we've taken on other sort of other foods and and that kind of stuff. They they yeah they they. I, I hate saying they because it, it, it sounds you as if all French we. are the same. But uh, yeah, how we we. But but g- generally, generally, that seems to be the case. Yeah, I bet you though, the French McDonald's beats the brakes off of an American McDonald's. Well, what I would say is the the food that they do serve everywhere here, the quality of the ingredients is far far better. Like the welfare standards for um, for for meat here is is incredible, incredible. Mm. Um, you know, with, with chicken, all chickens are free range, and you know, and then and, and all the rest of it. You know, there's none of this sort of um, commercialism of you know getting getting food to be as cheap as possible. Um, they really do value like good, especially meat, really good, good meat. Um, and I think that's the case with McDonald's as well, actually. Um, there, there, there was a thing when we first got here. So what? Four, maybe five, six years ago now, maybe. Um, there was a lot of you'd hear it in the news all the time where you know McDonald's almost like invaded France. All of a sudden, they're popping up everywhere. Um, you know, again, fifty, sixty years behind everybody else, but it, but it's happening everywhere. Um, and people would protest. You know, farmers would all be out with their tractors and they'd protest in the local village and they'd stop all oh, the traffic. Sure. Um, because they they were like you know we really we really don't want this, um, but yeah I I do think that the quality is better and um, and you can get a beer in McDonald's here as well which is quite nice <laughs> so you know I bet there are no bronies in France uh, I've yet to see you a know brony. why no because Milo Pony's on the menu <laughs> they meet them horses they meet them horses high silver away I'll take a medium rare. <laughs> 
started the after show early, didn't we? I guess. We did. We did. We did. Shall we Shall we go straight to an after I show? Did, didn't we? <laughs> I, I need to do my signing off. You know oh, how it sorry. is. Thank you all for listening. We should speak to you very soon. Bye for now. <laughs> there we go. Okay. After show, what we got? For me, actually, back to the city talk. Um, uh, the closest yeah. I've lived... To, or been to living in a big city was when I lived in Denver, Colorado. And I really liked it there. Uh, I have been to big cities. I, I've never lived in a big, big city like LA or New York or Seattle or Chicago or any of those. Uh, they are, they have a lot going on. I've visited people in a lot of places. I've, I've, I've always been kind of okay just visiting. I've never yeah. felt yeah. a strong inclination like, Ooh, I gotta live here. Um, I, I I do think like all the conveniences uh, that you guys have been talking about is awesome. Like and when I lived in Denver, I felt like I was two blocks away from all anything that I could need, and it was great. Um, but at the same time, I really like being out in the open in the country, and and grass fields around and and forests and stuff like that, and so. I yeah, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to live in a big. I love you know jumping in and experiencing, mm. but then coming out when it gets a bit much. Um, I think you know back being you know early twenties and single that'd be incredible oh, sure. to be living like that. But you know n- at this point in my life, I don't think personally. I don't think I'd want to be in a big big city, particularly with you know with youngsters. I, I think you you'd be surprised. I mean, I said this a million times, and I talk about it with my wife a lot. If I had grown up in the in the household I had where I was a latchkey kid. My dad and his wife didn't want me around. My mother was off doing whatever she was doing and I was alone. If it wasn't mm. for New York City, I would have been a, a it would have been a bad situation. I would have I mean New York City saved my life. You could walk with your friends or you could just meander down the street or you could meander into a different neighborhood or you go to the park and museums. Everything was at your fingertips. And it made me feel like I was part of a giant community and I you start to know where things are and you find new places and I mean it, I, when I say New York City saved my life I'm not I'm completely serious my mental health is in a good place because I had this behind me and it was really mm-hmm. like there are people who said to me oh it must have been terrible growing up in New York Manhattan saved my life you know and then Brooklyn and Queens and learning different places and how to get around and your friend calls you up and says, let's go to Chinatown for lunch. That sounds great. Let's get on the train, take the six train down to Canal Street, walk through, and you could be back by the afternoon. And it was just like, it was it was very, very, for me, it was a pivotal part of who I am. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. I think that that would be awesome. But I think in my current situation with, you know, with young kids, um, it probably wouldn't be, wouldn't be too awesome. But well, um, this is the reason why I'm 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 totally for my daughter moving to I mean she's going to college in California in Los Angeles and it's because she didn't get the experience I had of being in a city and we mm-hmm. at a young age we brought her on the subway a lot and let her she got to an age where she could take the train in the city with her friends and she wanted she never got that big city experience and and yeah. I want her to have it and this is the place she wants to be so mm-hmm. you know big city Nice. Will you will you be going across to LA much then? Do you think we are going to fly her out, and then we're trying to figure out how we're going to do like parents' weekends. It might be the flights yeah. aren't that expensive, but at the same time, it's like it all adds up. So there might be times where we all go, or maybe my wife will go, or maybe I'll go, and 
We'll see. We'll, yeah, we're yeah. going to have to figure it out. We'll see the first year. Now, how long a flight is that? Six hours, something like that. Fuck. You know? So. Jesus. <laughs> well, look. I forget how big America is, you see, for, you know, six hours for us. Well, seven hours. I can be in America, let alone, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I could be in sort of New York at least. Um, but that's just, yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah. Well, I just did that shit because I went to Atlanta and back, and that's six hours. And then I flew over to Hawaii and back, and that was another six hours back and forth. Uh, or sorry, each each leg. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of flying this this month or the last month. It, it can be a pain in the ass, literally. Those those seats are designed to like break your ass. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're not meant to be here. A, a culture is like significantly different because I mean, you're going seven hours from where you mm-hmm. are. Seven hours from where I am, culture is complete. An hour from where I am on a plane in Europe, and cultures vary massively. Is most of America the same, or do you have these, you know, these huge differences? Twenty I mean, miles from Manhattan, there are different cultures. Like I've met families who are generationally they're twenty miles from Manhattan. And they are rednecks, and they were they are like as redneck as it comes, and yeah. the thought of them going they the and generationally the thought of them going to Manhattan would be the same as if we decided to go to China, like it's like com- yeah. beyond <laughs> yeah, yeah, foreign. Yeah. I mean, completely beyond <laughs> foreign. Yeah, yeah. It's like where I am now. Like most people in this village have never, well, certainly never left France, but most people have, wouldn't have left the region, right? And that's just, it just blows my mind, you know? But I suppose what, what I'm getting at is, I'd imagine Calif- California is probably very similar to LA, but it's all that stuff in the middle where all the crazy shit happens, I'd imagine. <laughs> mm, easy. The crazy because, shit, those you know, are they're, listeners they're, they're big you're talking cosmopolitan about. cities, same as any big city around the world. They're all pretty much the same now, aren't they, you know? True. Yeah. You're talking about our listeners there, Craig. <laughs> those middle earth weirdos hey. hey i'm for those middle earth weirdos where are with you guys oh speaking of middle earth weirdos um you mentioned in the beginning of the and i was going to make a whole bit about this and i realized i kind of made a mistake so facebook is fun because it, it'll show you your like your anniversary so yeah. apparently it was a five-year anniversary of a terrible review uh, and I thought it was on Knife Talk, but it turns out it wasn't on Knife Talk. So it was uh, somebody wrote on um, mostly good review, mostly good podcast. I've listened to this podcast for a good while now. I enjoy some of the hosts and most of the content. Uh, some areas are for creating. Uh, I'm not involved with like metalworking. The podcast has always earned its clean lyrics rating, a clean lyrics rating until the recent episode with that fader knife guy. <laughs> I listened to the podcast to enjoy the conversation about woodworking. F-bombs are a deal breaker for me. The Creators Collective is not about that kind of creating. Keep it clean or I'm out. I thought this was a Knife Talk at review. We've had similar not reviews really. on Knife Talk. Due to your, we have, due to your filthy mouth. Well, we did. We had to have, we had to have a meeting once. The, the, <laughs> I was hoping that this was a Knife Talk review, so I, so I actually ended up looking up the Creators Collective podcast, and I started laughing yeah. because... Uh, they had two last episodes were in 2009 
and the, uh, episode 126 was in t- was was entitled should we stop podcasting <laughs> you with a death of them. <laughs> that, was, that was that was that was their last podcast should we stop podcasting and then their last one their last episode of in 2019 was we do exist <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, firstly, if your if your episode is entitled, should is titled, should we stop? You've made that decision already, surely. But you I know? started laughing but because yeah, I was thinking we still I started, exist. That, that's I started to read their their reviews, and the reviews are not good. They're, they're it's oh. mostly audio issues and stuff like that. But then I realized, yeah, yeah. oh, I was an um, I was a guest on their podcast. And I obviously elicited quite a reaction. So I, it wasn't the original. I thought it was a Knife Talk review, but it wasn't. It was, I was on this show. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I was on this show. I made quite an impression. The guy was pissed. So, <laughs> but do we, should we stop podcasting is the second to last one. And I wanted to say to the guy who wrote the immediate, you know, the, like, look, you know, we're still here, baby. Seven years. Craig's been at this seven still years. Here. Seven years. It feels like it feels like nine. <laughs> <laughs> All that clopping around. <laughs> so well, I think we can call it a day. Um, thank you all for listening. We value every single one of you. We really even do. cloppers. Thank- even the cloppers. <laughs> we shall speak to you soon. Bye for now. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc